You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Awesome. Okay, if you guys would, sorry about that. Let's be honest. We're not a church that's driven by a smooth production, okay? And we don't have all the frilly stuff and all of that because the truth is, is we have a savior named Jesus Christ who's glorious. And so our main aim and goal is to lift him up. So that's what we're going to do this morning uh, through God's word. And that's what we aim to do every week uh, because we believe that he is our ultimate hope. So if you would turn to the book of 2 Timothy, just to clarify this real quick. If you are a child and you are under the age of three, you can go back into the kids area. If you are born above, you will sit in with us for service today. So understand this. Normally, we preach anywhere in the 35 to 40-minute range. Today, that will not be the case because we have all the kids in the room. So it'll be about a 20-minute sermon. Some of you might applaud, and then I would be offended, so let's not do that. But we also recognize this, that when there's kids in the service, it's going to be a little bit distracting. So I can work through that. Let's collectively work through that together as we dive in and preach through God's Word this morning. So we're working through... 2 Timothy, which we've titled this series, The Legacy, because we understand this, that it's ultimately not about our legacy, what Christians aim to do and give and share and tell and keep alive is the legacy of Christ. That's, that was Paul's mission. That was his mission to Timothy. And that's Paul's message to Timothy to also give to the church that he pastors and so on and so on and so on, is that we fight not to create our own name, and our own fame, but to lift up the name and the fame and the legacy of Jesus Christ. That's why we've titled that this series, The Legacy. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to tell you this. There is no way that I can faithfully do justice to this meaty of a text in about 20 minutes. There is a lot here. And so maybe at another date, I can go, go back and preach through this and expound on a little bit more. So you guys are going to get the very short and condensed version of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And next week, we'll look at this. And then after that, we're going to do a little short series on friendship. And then we're going to be diving into the book of Exodus. After Exodus, moving into Easter next year, we're going to be diving into Revelation. So that's kind of where we're, we're going as a church. So stay tuned for the season to come. But let's read God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's important to know this. When we hold this book in our hands, we are holding God's ultimate authority, God's truth, and the very book itself, as we'll look at next week, makes someone wise for salvation. It is a book about Christ's rescue. But as we open it, it is truth, and it's the one book that we can read that actually has the power and the ability to, to, to cut, to heal, and to transform hearts and lives because it ultimately lifts up Christ. So let's remember that as we dive into the word this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Giannis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. 
men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's pray. Father, my first prayer this morning is help. Help me to preach your word faithfully. Help me to do so in a way that magnifies and lifts up Christ to your glory. Fill us with your spirit. Fill this place with the presence of your spirit. Father, help us to listen and listen intently, not for everyone around us, but for ourselves. Let your word heal, but God, let it first cut. Let it convict. Let it exhort, but let it encourage. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that we never have to walk out of a Sunday service hopeless about what we have or haven't done, but we have hope in what Christ has done and accomplished for us. Let that produce joy, God. Let it produce a season of joy in the midst of trials, hardships, difficulty. Father, let it bring a sense of peace and hope. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you that we're not left trying to figure out what truth is in this war, uh, world, but we have your word that is truth. Thank you that it holds authority, that it holds power, that it's inspired. Thank you that it's your words, Father, that you use to communicate with us. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The main point this morning are the treasured are transformed through treasuring. Okay, the, the treasured are transformed through treasuring. One more time, the treasured are transformed through treasuring. This is a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage because as you look at this list and you're willing to just be a little bit honest with yourself, you can go through here and start to circle the things that you struggle with. As you look at it, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. We can start to go through the list and go, uh-oh, there's a lot in that list that applies to me. What we can avoid if we want to, and this is what our culture has done today, is we can avoid one word that this list is addressing, sin. It's just not a popular word to use in our culture. We, we like to use other words like mistakes or I messed up or I did some kind of bad things. But the reality of what the Bible says is we have a heart condition and our heart condition from birth, from conception is sinful. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet says, it's not even that the heart is sick, it's desperately sick. That's where we have to start. And if you don't believe me that this is something, this is a nature that we're born with, think about this. You have to teach your kids everything. You teach them how to eat, you teach them how to talk, you teach them how to ride your bike. Here's some, here's some things you never have to teach your kids to do. You never have to teach them to lie. You never have to teach them to steal. You never have to teach them to bite. You never have to teach them to scream mine. At least I hope you're not teaching them that. These are things you don't have to teach your kids because we're born with this nature that is sinful. We're born with hearts that are desperately sick, though we don't want to say that because all of that already goes against our pride. And the other truth is, is what we're looking at here is the problem that we see is a worship problem in this passage. What we see is a worship problem. 
David Foster Wallace is a secular guy, by no means a Christian, who says that everyone worships. The question is what or who you're worshiping. So this is about sin and this is about worship. In fact, we could say, I could ask, don't raise your hands, I don't want to embarrass anyone. What are the, what are the ingredients that goes on a Big Mac? Many people could raise their hands and be like, I got this. I could say, what are the Ten Commandments? And people would be like, I'm not sure. Here's, here's something that's going to be helpful for you. Let's just look at one of them today. Because all of this is a direct violation against the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Everything on this list goes back to this. In fact, if you look at the rest of the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, all of that stuff is because you've made something else your God and you've longed for that and loved that and have given your heart and your worship, you've ascribed worth to that. That's where the word worship comes from, is what we ascribe and give worth to. In fact, I'm a worshiper. We're all worshipers. The pridefulness of my worship was seen last night. I'm limping on stage this morning because I pulled a hamstring. Some of you might like to know how or why. It's not because I was rescuing someone or helping someone. It's because my pride said, let me race a 14-year-old boy and beat him. And I didn't. It's like my, my mind was telling me no, but my body was telling me yes. And this morning, both are screaming no. But I, in that moment, was worshiping my image. You see, I, I, my, my wife reminds me of my age, but I like to think, yeah, but I still got it. I still got it, and I can still do it, and I can keep up with this, and, and young people. Why? Because I'm prideful, because I'm arrogant. Not boastfully, but it's a reality that I have a worship problem. We all have a worship problem. Let's look here again at this list. But first, we have to understand this. Paul says that in the last days, there's going to come times of difficulty. What are the last days? That's an important thing to ask. What are the last days? The, the, the last days are defined like this. The time from Christ's resurrection and ascension to the time that we're living in now are the last days. This passage was relevant to Timothy as he's pastoring the church in Ephesus. It's relevant to us as well. All are living in the last days, waiting on the return of Christ. But he says this, that in starting in verse 2, people are going to be lovers of self. I, I will say this, everything else in this list comes underneath that. God's command, love me. God's command is worship me. This starts off with you're going to love yourself. The second thing comes right after it, which is still a form of loving yourself. It's loving money because money is able to buy you stuff that can then give you worth that you can worship, and it's all still about loving yourself. Then there'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, and the list goes on of these awful things. Look at this in verse 4. They'll be treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceit. Again, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We could, we could shorten the list down to this, and everything would, on this list would fit underneath this. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. But all would sit underneath one thing, lovers of self. Think about this. What is, what is a love for self? It looks like this. I don't want to have to commit to something or anything or anyone. I don't want to have responsibility. I just want to do what I want. I want to love my spouse how I want. I want to love my kids how I want. I want to live out my singleness how I want. I essentially think about myself, my comfort, what I like and what I don't like, and that is kind of how I just govern my life. I love myself. Get near my comforts, my autonomy, and what I do or don't like to do and watch out. I really struggle when people are like, I'm just trying to love myself because humanity 
collectively, universally, is phenomenal, loving ourselves. Even if you're apathetic and, and, and you have an Eeyore mentality, you are still in that only thinking about the things that you're not getting and how miserable your life is. So collectively, we're all lovers of self. What rolls next is a lover of money. I'm driven by my materialism. I think about what I have and what I don't have. If you look at my account, very, is, very little is given to my local church because I spend most of it on myself, my clothing, and you name it. I don't have money to give to my local church or to those in need, but I definitely have money to recreate. This is also the downfall of many pastors who struggle with greed. They want more and more and can never get enough. Next, lover of pleasure. There's nothing wrong with loving pleasure. There are many pleasurable things in this world that God has given. The problem is, is when we're not finding our ultimate pleasure in Christ, instead we're finding the things of this world. Now, if you unwind the list, what you'll get back to each time is a love of self. What I mean is this, is that body image and beauty products and cosmetics is such a big thing nowadays in our culture that billions of dollars are spent on this. Why? Because we love to have a certain image that loves a certain way. We love ourselves and we love that image. Therefore, we will become lovers of money that will use our money and buy all of those things that help us to look a certain way. And we do all that because we're lovers of pleasure, meaning I do all this and buy all this because at the end of all this, my pleasure is other people's approval in me. And it goes right back to the first thing. We're lovers of self. We're selfish. Sin defined as, in the most simplest way is selfishness. If you go back to Eve in the garden, it was she saw something she wanted that was desirable for her and she was going to take it. We've been doing the same thing ever since. We don't need anything new. <laughs> the enemy doesn't need to develop new tricks. He knows exactly what to tempt humans with because we've been doing the same thing forever. We love ourselves, we love our money, and we love our pleasures. This is why, too, you can work backwards. People have a pleasure for lust, and I'm going to frame it that way because there are kids in here this morning. People have a, a, a pleasure for lust. Therefore, they will use money on the internet to spend that money to do something. Why? Because there's something broken inside of here. And they think looking at images, doing certain things is going to fix what's in here. You can replace that with anything, drugs and alcohol, whatever the pleasure is that you're looking for, that you're trying to find some sort of pleasure on the inside. It's because in here, there's a problem. And we're trying to fix it with everything we can out here, which is a worship thing. So what do we do? If we have a worship problem, do we just start hacking stuff off in our lives and say, no, 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 no. The problem is, is we'll just move our worship to other things. So the way to get out of worship is actually through worship. We have a worship problem, but what we need to do is redirect our worship. The treasure are transformed through treasuring. If you go on from here, what you'll recognize is this is these people in verse five have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power, avoid such people. What this means is this, is that we live in a world and Paul lived in a world and Timothy lived in a world where people can pretend to be godly. But the reality is, is that they're godless and they, they, they have a godliness that doesn't actually have a power to transform a heart and life. There's one way that a life and a heart can be transformed from desperately sick and stone into a heart of clay. That's through the gospel. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, not for someone, not something, not works, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel takes us where we're at, but it doesn't leave us there. It has a transformative power. It transforms us. It transforms all of our life. What it does is it transforms us to 
start loving God more than ourselves, to start loving our neighbor more than ourselves, to start being generous with what God has given us, and to find our ultimate pleasure in Christ. That's what the gospel and the gospel alone has the power to do. Anything else might have the appearance of godliness. We can use Mormonism, something like that that has an appearance of godliness, but really it's dead because without Jesus Christ and the power and work of the Spirit living and dwelling inside of you, which only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, it's going to be powerless. In fact, the religion of the Pacific Northwest is powerless. It, we're, we're in repeat mode. What Paul is dealing with and what Timothy's dealing with in Ephesus, let's look at Ephesus. You have Ephesus, which is a medical college town. So they have a medical college, they have a library, they have a massive amphitheater, they have all this stuff. It's it's not some poor town, it's a port town that was actually pretty wealthy, had a lot of knowledge and a lot of pride. They also had the temple of Artemis, which is their god that they worship. It it was a very feminist culture, but they were driven by this group of people and and, and oftentimes led by a group of people called the Gnostics. Gnostics come from, from the Greek word gnosis, which means having knowledge or to know. And what they would say is this, is that we are enlightened, we have arrived at the knowledge of the truth, and here's what they would also say. You can too, if you believe the way that we believe, including don't go with God's word as truth. We've come up with some of our own gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the secret gospel of John, and they have several books called the Gnostic Gospels. But what they also believed is this, it doesn't matter how you treat your physical body. Do whatever you want with it, because it's evil, though God deemed it good in Genesis 1. Do whatever you want with your body. This is, this is it. But they claimed to be religious. They claimed to be Christians. They claimed all these things. They had an emptiness. The Pacific Northwest does the same thing. It's religion when you tell someone what language to speak, how to speak it, what to say, what to do, do this, don't do this, do this. And a, and a culture is produced with a lot of fear, shame, and guilt if you aren't talking right, saying the right things, and doing the right things. We're in repeat mode. It's the same thing. But it is an empty, powerless gospel if it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to not just save you, but transform you. It's the same thing throughout. Back then, it's the same thing now that Paul is addressing. Look at what he says here. Verse 6, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. What do they do? They would sneak into households as soon as men would leave for work. They would come and they would try to deceive women. Same thing Jehovah's Witnesses do to this day. It's true. They were opportunists. They would wait till the men left the home and come, came in. I, I was telling our staff this week, I, I kind of, I'd, I'd bet on our women. I feel like our, our, our women are, so, are solid. I'm proud of our women. I'm thankful for our women. And I feel like they could probably convert a lot of people that came to their doorsteps. But if you notice what the thing is that these men would do, these worthless men, is what they would do is they would prey on women. And what they would do is seen right here. For among those, verse 6, are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins. The gospel is the one place that lifts all the burden of sin off of your life. Paul says, there is therefore, right now, now, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I need you guys to repeat after me because there's many misunderstandings on what the gospel is. So if someone says, what's the gospel? You guys respond and say, good news, okay? What's the gospel? The good news is this, (laughs) that Christ did it all. Christ did everything. What we worship and the way that we are transformed through our worship is this, is knowing that Christ came and lived a life that we couldn't live. 
in perfect worship to God. Every moment of every day, he lived not loving self, not loving pleasures, not loving money, but loving God. But then he went to the cross, bearing the wrath of God, saying, let me take the punishment for the way that they worship everything else and love everything else. And then he was resurrected to prove that everything he did was true and to conquer and bring victory. Here's the truth. In Christ, you are a treasured possession of God. You know, I won't read the passages now, but in Deuteronomy, it talks about that, that, that God takes Israel and he makes them his treasured possession. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says that, that we in Christ are God's treasured possession. In fact, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, 13, 44 through 46, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen, we're the great pearl. <laughs> we're the treasure that Christ was willing to sell and give everything to purchase, to redeem, to renew, and to transform. And now it impacts the way that we live. We don't grow by looking at ourselves. We don't grow by self-loathing of our sins. We don't grow any other way than recognizing this, that we are the treasured possession of Christ. And the more we look at him, then the more we are transformed. So the treasured are transformed through treasuring. Instead of staring at ourselves so much, what we do is we get caught up in our worship, just looking at, beholding the magnitude, the majesty, and the glory of what Christ has done. That is what changes our lives. This is backed up by Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to the other. This comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. How, how are we transformed? Beholding, by treasuring the fact that we are God's treasured children. That transforms our lives. Some of you need to hear this this morning. You need to stop staring at your life so much. Whenever you fall, whenever you sin, whenever you do that stuff, stare at Christ and the price that he's paid for you. I'll end with saying this. In verses 10 through 13, Paul lays out something so important. What he's saying is this, Timothy, my life was modeled in front of you. The way I taught, the way I lived, my life was modeled. There is no such thing as Christianity lived in isolation for pastors or for members of a church. It's lived in the context of community where we say, this is my teaching. This is my profession of faith. These are the things I believe in. This is how I want to live. Christians get to start living into our new identity, the identity of the fact that we are treasured in Christ's treasured possession. Let's pray. Father, the truth is, is that we love ourselves. <laughs> we love material goods, and we love pleasure, all because, again, we love ourselves. Christ, we recognize you were the only one in all of human history who loved God and worshiped God perfectly. Even as we sing, I pray we would sing in an act of worship, recognizing this, your mercy and your grace and your work is sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.